Hey, Olga. Hi, Alan. Nice to see you. Thank you. <laughs> you as well. Hey, Q. Hi, Alan. Hey, good, good to see you. Fantastic. Um, and uh, the, the theme of the day is, you know, why are immigrant entrepreneurs so often successful, right? And uh, that's the big theme of the day. And as we know, I was listing off earlier, uh, just so many companies that so many successful companies that we know of today that were founded by by immigrants to we're, we're speaking mostly by United States based companies right now and the entrepreneurship of that and the in the amount of immigrant based companies. So, uh, of course, Google is, is a famous one. And you've got uh, you've got you've got Instagram and, and you've got uh, you've got the Kohl's shopping uh, store. You've got Chobani yogurt. Uh, so many tech products as well, right? Including Yahoo, et cetera, et cetera. Like you go down the list and if you were to make a list of the top, um, even going back a long way, if you were to make a list of the, the top 20 or 50 successful uh, US companies, um, you would probably, I would say you've been about half of them were started by immigrants, right? Going back, right? It would be like almost half, right? And even today, the ones that we use today, it's probably at least 30%. In fact, the last uh, statistic that I saw is that um, one, in, one in four entrepreneurs today are first-generation immigrants, right? So that's, uh, that's a pretty powerful statistic, and we're gonna get into the why of that. Like, why is that the case? And not only why are they there in numbers, but why are they often successful? So um, disproportionately, you could even say, right? So we're gonna get into that. Um, but but first, I want to like talk about the, your backgrounds a little bit, right? And um, and so, but before we want to get into the, the company that you guys work together at, it's called the Underdog, right? The Underdog, and Olga, you're the founder, and um, and Q, you joined just uh, recently uh, within the uh, last year, and um, so I want to talk about that. And the way I want to do it is to kind of share my screen and let you guys. Uh, kind of take a look while you talk. Um, I get to kind of uh, walk through. I get to walk through it, right? So, so there's your subscription. Can you guys see your screen? Can you guys see the yes. end of it? All right, cool. All right. So this is the cool site. So you guys take a, a, a kick-ass picture here, and really, <laughs> it's really amazing. And then uh, I want to just point out like some really cool things. People have to visit this website because not only is the blog like amazing, I call you guys like um, satirical bloganistas, right? I think I coined that. You just so you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did, and um, I'm pretty proud of that because when I when I come to your site, I'm just laughing out loud when I read your blog. <laughs> but I love these stats that you have out here. Uh, you're tracking the number of happy hours, the number of big egos identified. I know I'm not. I'm not on that list. I know. Uh, so, so, but I love the zero. To podcast if it increased. You can't have a big ego and be a podcast uh, uh, host, right? Because you, you're you're supposed to be about the other people. You just can't do it. Um, but zero awards won. I think that's beautiful. Uh, Forty-nine hundred eye rolls. Uh, in eight imaginary team members, the the honesty, the the pithy, the the just edginess of you, your site, and your brand is like a real standout. And you're a Florida-based company, which we're going to get into. So this is uh, the profiles. You guys, I want to go ahead and read these profiles, right? So, so, um, so Olga, all right. I'm going to read this um, while we uh, go through this. So Olga is a, uh, and I'm going to. 
read it as a re you're a recovering communist. <laughs> Olga is a recovering <laughs> communist, and uh, and uh, she is considered so she was considered a management consultant. She considered management management consulting an evil capitalistic profession growing up, um, right um, in the Ukraine, right. And yeah. things changed when you made your first step into the American soil in 2009. You immediately discovered your talent for getting people's attention and capitalizing on it. You know, well, when I read this, I'm actually going to, um, I want to, I want to hop back and uh, actually, I want to, I want to actually read this while you guys are like in the screen, right? I think that would be more fun, right? So let's do it that way. So you guys can react. People can see your reaction as I read your blog, and you can get embarrassed. Um, you, you immediately discovered your talent for getting people's attention and capitalizing on it. Arguably, people paid more attention because they were trying to figure out her Slavic with a sprinkle of Jersey accent, which when you and I talked before, I never, I never asked you about the Jersey part. Um, some say they hear it even uh, through her blog. So when they read your blog, they think they hear it. Olga relies on strategic creativity, enjoys analytics, and has no problems expressing her opinion at public events interviews and social media. So that's the promise of, of today. Okay. Yes. Uh, this is very public uh, today. So, so far, no evidence of her being unreasonable has been scientifically proven, not been proven yet. Uh, so she holds a master's degree in linguistics from Donetsk University, Ukraine, and an MBA uh, with a concentration in finance from the University of Florida. And there was a little short stop at, uh, at Oxford in uh, UK, which we'll talk about later. Lacra mm Miora, -hmm. um, as otherwise known as Q, committed to making the lives of business people uh, easier when she gave herself the nickname Q. Like you just basically said, you know, I'm going to gift this to everybody so they can spell my, <laughs> they can say my name. <laughs> and that was a, that's pretty, pretty smart. I thought maybe uh, Olga coined, uh, named you Q. I thought maybe that, but it sounds like you named yourself. No. <laughs> right? This decision alone is the best illustration of her ability to simplify complex, sometimes painfully unattainable problems into simple and creative solutions. We'll get into it later, but you know, uh, Q, you have two degrees in chemistry, right? Two degrees in chemistry. So um, the ability to simplify things, right? As a, as a pretend thought leader, Q has struggled to keep a straight face while posing for this picture. But as an entrepreneur has, <laughs> who has started multiple businesses, she's, she sacrificed for the significance of a power, power pose and a good first impression, right? So again, Olga, I know you talked her into that whole power pose position. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know, I know. I, can, I just know it yeah, already. <laughs> for sure. She did not, I asked her, we asked her to smile and she said no, but she forced herself a little bit. I, yeah. I wish I could have been at that photo shoot. I really, really do. God, I would, I it was fun, yeah. Q's natural abilities include seeing the science in entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurship in science. That's a cool uh, phrase. I've never, I've never read that before. Never seen that. She has an MBA from MIT and a PhD in chemistry from the University of Florida. So, um, wow. Um, and, sh and, and she has since vowed to never uh, get another advanced degree. She's no more. No more advanced degrees. So um, again, um, again, uh, I just want to say welcome, uh, welcome to the show, and and uh, let's start with um, uh, let's start with my sponsor. Let's do that. So my sponsor, and the best way I want to do that is to actually uh, throw up the uh, the slideshow again, and we're going to go to the second slide. So executive launch is the sponsor. 
And they're wrapping up this week will be the last week of their run on the show. And um, until I get them re-signed. And basically executive launch is dedicated to helping executives in companies um, who have spent, you know, usually at least a decade or more rising the ranks in their industry and in their company, learning the ins and outs of their business, finding all the problems within their industry, and uh, ultimately have ambitions to do more, to be a, to create their own startup, create their own future and destiny. Um, and so executive launch helps those, those executives put a plan together and teach them the startup game, helps them put everything together they need to be a startup founder, which as you guys know, uh, is very different than being a corporate executive, right? Oh yeah. Like, absolutely, right? It's a whole nother world. And so executives uh, of bigger companies really uh, have no way of knowing uh, the challenges that are gonna be involved with a, real, with a startup. And so that's what Executive Launch does, okay? Um, all right, so with that, uh, I wanna just head back over to you guys. And uh, Olga, so you, you founded the, the Underdog. I gotta ask you right off the top because I didn't ask you before, like, where did the name under the underdog come from? Yeah, great. I was looking for something that's very descriptive. I um, actually started it because I I thought that nobody took advantage of copywriting in a in a really really good way. In no marketing agencies before, and I thought that the name has to reflect that. And the underdog, first of all, represented me in a way because I was just starting but uh, actually translated onto my clients. Because if you're the underdog and you're looking for strategic help or marketing help, you kind of can identify yourself with the name. So that's how the name came. And I, I liked it. Actually, it's interesting that it's a very, it's a very American, uh, yeah. way, I would say yeah. English yes. word. Yeah. Because if I have to translate it to Russian, let's say if I go back home, there is no word for it. I have to explain mm -hmm. that there's two teams and theme, right, Q? So I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I still don't know why there is a dog in it. So hands, there was a cat. And again, for the logo, I, I thought it was a funny pun. But at the same time, what it meant is that a lot of people think of marketing backwards. They start with communications and very focused on communications without solid strategic approach. Or they think that marketing is a logo or a website. Yeah. So that kind of was my thinking. And uh, people, when people ask me, I, I, I like explaining that, but most of them actually kind of get it, you know, because they, they always ask me, is it because it's backwards? So I like that. To me, first of all, I want to comment on that. So marketing isn't a logo or website. It's it's kind of an attitude, right? And I feel like that's what you captured. That's the attitude. The underdog is really about the attitude of things, right? I don't mean that in a cocky way. I mean that in a what do you stand for? What is your purpose? Uh, and the underdog uh, is like clearly st states that without any ambiguity. And that's the other thing I wanted to say is that Wow, how how did you you know a recovering communist from you know from Ukraine? Uh, how did you pick? I mean, you can't answer this question, but I just want to tell you that you did a great job picking that name because uh, you you could have very well picked something that wouldn't have resonated with the average American, but you but you did. You you picked something that actually connect it connects with me personally, and and I don't know how you did that being 
not from not growing up in America? You know, I had to say that when I tested the name among uh, my friends and somebody, not a single person told me that they liked it. <laughs> not a single person. And I had to just believe that that was my vision and do it. It was quite painful, I have I to love, say. I love, I love, see, I, I, my art pre-call interview was obviously way off. The <laughs> I didn't get to ask any of this stuff. I love that part of your story because um, there is a, it's so interesting. There's a time when friends and family are totally the right people to talk to about something to get you dialed in. And there's other times when your friends and family are the absolute wrong people to talk to about getting something dialed in. And this was a case where you, your instinct was correct. You, you had the vision, and that's the other piece, that your friends and family can't have the vision for what you were trying to create. They just can't. They want to. They love you. They're trying. They care about you. But they can't truly have your vision that's in your mind. And so you knew what you wanted to do and who you wanted, what you wanted to provide, and you knew the underdog fit that, and you stayed, you stayed with that vision, right? And despite the, yeah. the negative feedback. Yes. Yes, it was uh, not easy, but then I thought, if I think that I know what I'm doing, I have to do it my way, like that. I love this. I love it. I love. I, I love. You know why I love this? Because there's a whole philosophy out there that I don't love, which is, you know, only give customers what they ask for, only give them what they say they want, only give the market what the. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. You can't get too far off the off the rails you have to stay tied to your your our audience and your market but two problems number one um people don't know what people don't always know what they want they know it when they see it a lot of times right mm -hmm. they know it when they see yeah. it and number two right like um you know if if you are in that camp all the time you're never going to create anything unique or original if you're always just mm -hmm. trying to satisfy other people right so, absolutely. So, am I hitting the home with this with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, and I, I started with my own marketing campaign. I would say I didn't call it campaign, but marketing my agency pretty strongly as well because I realized that there is really no turn back. You either come out strong and do it or not. Yes. Yes. So I want to tell you, I think you nailed it, and I mean that. I really, really mean that. You nailed it with your brand Thank and everything you. that you're doing, and I'm so glad that you didn't listen to a lot of people. You stayed true to your vision of what you were doing. And I think, and, and the other thing I was going to say is in today's world, you have to find your tribe, you have to find your followers, right? So your friends and family weren't your target. Your target was a whole other sector that you had to stay true so you could attract the, your, your, uh, your tribe, right, the people that would resonate yep. So Q, I've got a question for you. Why the heck would you join uh, such a radical? Uh, you, know, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're 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 like a scientist, and uh, I know you have an MBA and you you got a business degree and all that. But 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 um, but Olga is kind of uh, she is got she's got the like she's controversially with the edge. Like, why would a scientist want to partner up with? Uh, with someone who's got so much spark, I don't know. Maybe because she's something that uh, you know, uh, you know, she has a lot of stuff that I don't have. 
you know, so I think we complement each other very well. And also we have very common background, you know, being both of us recovering communists, you know, but two different personalities. Yeah. <laughs> so you just said something really important, this idea of partnering people that have um, the opposite strengths of you. We talk about it all the time in entrepreneurship. It's is the um, the being able to find someone that that is somewhat the opposite of yourself to make the team better, right? Did you know that immediately um, that 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 is something that you wanted to do? Because you we're going to get into your backstory in a minute. You you were involved in a lot of different projects and startups before you met Olga. Did you feel like that? Hey, I've tried a lot of things. I'm I think now I'm going to actually partner with someone who is who is a complete, you know, um, balance, opposite balance to me, right? Did that strike you? Um, you know, yes, that one thing that, you know, it's complementing me. I did have a co-founder uh, before, like, which were different than me, uh, but, um, you know, I really like uh, Olga. You know, I mean, we met, you know, by chance to a startup challenge. I think it was in Gainesville. And um, after that, we started to talk to each other. I started to look into the underdog. And um, I really like, uh, you know, the message, what she was putting up there. And also, I, I like her. And I do know, like, immigrants, entrepreneurs, they work really hard, you know. So, <laughs> I think she was, you know, the perfect match, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So uh, that's great. I think uh, that's 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 piece of the story that I wanted to know is like, uh, and I would imagine Olga for you, like here's um, here's a, a scientist type person with that, you know, could could really balance out your uh, your skills and talent, right? Absolutely. I was actually on a lookout for a partner. Every time I would have a business meeting, I would always think about would that person fit Would that. For some reason, I don't know why. In my mind, my business partner would be a male. I don't know why. Maybe because I thought about technical people and there is more men in technology or any kind of technical profession. So for some reason, I thought it would be men. So when I met you, I almost <laughs> couldn't believe it. I was like, man, this is this is crazy. This is great. We get along well. You know, you need to be friends to also be in business and get along very well. We understand each other. We have similar sense of humor because of our backgrounds. Uh, we both have Alabama accents, so <laughs> so it kind of it kind of worked out very well. So I was I was almost. You know, I was very happy because I thought that I was asking the universe and the universe sent me cues. So finally it worked. And, and she was not a man. So. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what can you ask for any better? <laughs> no, it's it's great. I, I really, I really excited to know you and I'm looking for you. You're up in Gainesville, Florida, in the University of Florida area. And uh, I'm, I'm excited because I, I feel like I'm introducing you to the Tampa Bay market right now. And I'm super excited about that because Tampa Bay uh, could use could use Olga and Q could use the underdog I think in our in our ecosystem so that's really exciting. Um, without I don't want to bore people too much. This is I've been sharing the screen. This is they can read this. This is what the underdog provides. But I want to um, I want to mention just briefly this this 
this blog that people have to read with this, which is one of the most, this, your blog is one of the more fun blogs out there. And the, every article makes me literally laugh out loud. And, uh, and it, and I love the honesty and the edginess of it all. Um, and then, uh, Q ultimately you, uh, you wrote a, a blog here about, um, about agrotech, right? Which became the impetus for the uh, blue orange, uh, the blue orange accelerator, agtech accelerator that you and Olga created together, right? Yeah, yeah. This is when Q joined. We uh, we changed up the positioning of the underdog, and uh, we do have marketing as as part of our services. But for the most part, it's product commercialization and we work with people that want to you know start innovative companies and uh, Q had brilliant idea that when she actually voiced it to me for the first time I thought that it was it was crazy good idea to do that so she did the hypotheses she put together all the data like a real scientist and then on top of it polished it was business attitude and that would came to life, and I think from here, Q can explain more. Yeah, Q, tell us about yeah. the Blue Orange, the Blue Orange uh, Agritech Accelerator. Well, so I moved to Gainesville. I moved back to Gainesville in uh, like 15 months ago, and, um, and I, I was looking to understand, you know, the startup ecosystem here you know, locally, and I couldn't put a finger on anything, like on any uh, industry or specialization. Is it a tech, is it going to become a tech hub, or what type of tech, or what type of industry, biotech? There is a, you know, um, there are quite a few biotech companies, and, uh, but on the other hand, you know, all the cities in the United States, they, they say they are in the top three biotech hubs. So, you know, I was thinking, okay, so what is the competitive advantage of the area? You know, in, so actually a competitive advantage measures uh, the strength and the challenges of the area. And based on that, you know, you actually, uh, people in the area can build an innovation ecosystem. And, uh, you know, you look at the economic uh, indicator factors, you look at the assets of the talent and also the challenges of the area. And based on this analysis, with all the assets uh, that they are around at the University of Florida, uh, especially the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, so it, it that it should be the area focused on uh, agrotech. Uh, and that's why, of course, you know, like any other area, there is a lack of uh, um, investment here. And uh, usually the, the initial investment is coming from uh, accelerators. Uh, and that's why we decided to start an accelerator in this area, basically to, you know, recruit companies from outside of Gainesville to come here and to put them in connection with the uh, university scientists, with the farmers around, and uh, to build their companies here. Got it. That makes sense. Um, and so you guys, this 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 blue orange accelerator got uh, delayed, though. Just you were getting ready. You were launching it when the uh, COVID the COVID nineteen happened. Is that right? 
Yes, and um, I, I mean, it's hard. We, we were just starting to look for investment, you know, for the accelerator, which is hard even in the good times to raise money for, for an accelerator, not for uh, just a startup. Um, and, uh, you know, these things came and it slows us down, down a lot. Uh, I mean, you could see, I mean, I, I, I just read an article that uh, the investment was done like uh, down 43% in April for startups. Um, so mm -hmm. we will see. I mean, we are still, you know, uh, talking with startups. And the problem is that what is hard to do is to connect with investors. You know, once you connect, you have to do it face to face. It's hard to get investment by email. So <laughs> that is you know, really got us a little bit down. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. That's very hard. So Olga, you were um, speak to this. Were you um, were you in the process of getting the uh, the the capital raise started for Blue Orange Accelerator? Yeah, we started, we launched the brand. We we started our fundraising since January. Uh, we started connecting with startups. Uh, we connected with FIBA in, in Tampa, uh, yeah. had a very good relationship with that accelerator. I met with uh, Tampa Great. Bay Wave, yep. um, enjoyed that, I've been to their demo days. Uh, and uh, basically, we at the moment we we wanted to we, we put together an application for the startups right when uh, this whole thing started. And right now, we don't want to bring. I mean, first of all, I don't think we would be even able to bring any startups to Gainesville because they have to be physically here for three months, and uh, we just don't see that happening this year. And we don't want to do a virtual because that's not virtual experience, really. If it is a virtual experience, if we could do a little pre-accelerator or something, uh, we were thinking about it. But then it's not exactly the accelerator model that we want to we want to implement because there's very many different models. And even the one, the accelerator in Tampa is very different than what we want to do because ours is for profit and uh it's not a nonprofit, so different structurally yeah so you yeah. guys take, a little, you take some equity with the companies that that are accelerated right that's a classic approach um i, yeah. I, I can't wait to uh for you to restart this and for me for us to like help help each other get that restarted i think it's great and we have we can't fail to mention that you know um, I'm a University of Florida graduate too, so we're all in the family. Right. So we, have to, we have to help each other. So, well, okay. this, since you, since you're from UF, I have to say that a lot of people in, in Gainesville uh, can't quite memorize blue orange. They always think that it's orange and blue, blue orange, and it's only in Gainesville. People outside, they're like, "Oh, blue orange, it makes good sense." For you, good for you with leading with the word blue instead of orange, because if you'd done orange blue. It would have been just for Gator fans. It wouldn't have been oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so Olga, let's let's talk about your background, okay? So I I printed yeah. out. I printed this out. Yeah. So so born and raised in Ukraine, and I'm just fascinated by that. By the way, just first and foremost, and you grew up on a farm. You grew up on a farm in Ukraine where you you grew the the family grew the food right there uh, that you ate right all together mm -hmm. right. 
Um, So how does someone go from farm girl, right, to um, a master's degree in linguistics? um, And then, so how do you, like, was it always a thing that you were supposed to do as a kid, go to college and get that degree? Uh, you know, yeah, I think so. My parents don't have uh, uh, higher educations, but my mom was always encouraging about getting a degree because maybe it was at some point her own uh, aspiration. She never got to do it. And uh, I just, uh, I was a good kid. I was studying. I was playing the piano. Nothing really special, just a good student. And uh, with the university, actually, it was kind of interesting. I didn't want to go to to do literature and linguistics. I actually wanted to do mathematics. And I was was prepared to do it. I was on a path to do it. Yet, for some reason, when I came to apply, I picked a completely different thing. And I don't know why I did it anyways. But at that point, the USSR already collapsed. And it was total chaos and... uh, if you wanted to have the, I would say, like the more advanced or sexy degrees, like economics, uh, finance, you had to pay. We had to actually bribe people to get in, bribe people to get in. But if you want to go and, and study something like linguistics and le- literature, I could qualify and study there for free and I didn't have to pay for my education. So that basically, that's what I that's what I had to do. My parents couldn't afford to pay for education or for bribes or anything like that. So that's basically what happened. Wow. So so wow, that's that's quite eye opening to hear about the fact that yeah. the best degrees were only available for those who could bribe. Yes. Unless the, your parents work as professors, then you're gonna go there or you have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that's what's amazing about your story. Uh, you, and, and from there, um, you, uh, be, you became a teacher, but, uh, but ultimately you were teaching English to business uh, people. And you were yeah. fundamentally helping Ukrainian business men and women, like Ukrainian yep. business people, do business with America. And you were like the yep. person that was helping them translate. Is that right? Yeah, this is correct. I enjoyed doing that. I think I learned a lot from that. And in fact, uh, I didn't, I never realized it, but at the age 20, you basically put into a power position, so to speak, when you're in front of the audience of executives, executives, and you're teaching them. (laughs) Makes you feel a little bit, you know, you kind of, you kind of understand that you are in charge for at least that hour. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very motivated to improve my English and get better techniques, prepare people for different exams. Um, and, and commercially, it was very, very good. I, I made a lot of money. I enjoyed it. But I also learned how good, very good presentation skills. I learned how to be in front of the audience. And I knew, I knew my material very well. And I knew that when I know the material and when I'm confident in what I'm saying, I sound and present very well. So that right. was the key for me to understand how presenting skills work. Right. And, and so you got to see some of the best uh, business people operate, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And you also were in a respectful yeah. position because you were translating. So you, you kind of had a front row seat, if you will, to, to business, to business, right? You had a front yeah. row seat to business, right? These are million dollar type situations, right? Yeah. Um, but, you, but you told me when we talked before, at some point you felt like, okay, this is great, but I want to be known. I want to have. I want to be known and respected for more than just being the interpreter. And you want it. You crave yep. to be more 
uh, more substantive and respected than that. So what was the next big move for you? Yeah, that I, I, I felt like I could do way more. I just felt that I can do way more. That's how it felt. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, it's, I think it's great. Whatever anybody who's listening, if you feel like you can do more, it's not just a feeling. You really have to go and do more. That's right. So I decided to go to Oxford to take, a, a, I think it was four business courses during summer and see if I like it and how it is. Uh, I haven't been to the, oh, I've been to the UK before, but I have not been to a college town. So I went to Oxford. I took business classes. I thought that it was eye-opening. I loved the professors. I loved the subject. I like, I love the international students around from everywhere, from Ghana, from Mexico, from all over the world. And when I moved back, I thought, I think I'm done being an English teacher. And uh, I, the following week, I moved out to uh, the capital of Ukraine, to Kiev, where I had my best friend who lived there. So I kind of had a support for a month while I settled. Uh, so that was th that was basically why I moved there, you know, yeah, to start yeah. my career, had my friend was a little scary, but <laughs> second time it wasn't scary anymore. When I moved to US, it was like. Right, and you, uh, okay, and that's where you met your uh, your husband uh, today, yep. right? And he was based in, he was based in University of Florida, but he was traveling the world and he happened to be on assignment in Kiev and you, you guys uh, fell in love and decided to be uh, uh, married in a couple. And so at, you had the opportunity to to go back with him and start a new life in, in America, in, in Gainesville, right? Yeah, again, moved here and uh, didn't know a single person. You're just starting over again. Uh, and, uh, and then my advantage of speaking English or teaching English was taken away. Yeah. And I still want to be in the position where I can explain or tell what to do and how, and I can't. So that basically, I decided that I need to go and get a degree here. And usually in the United States, even if you have an advanced degree, Q knows that as well. The United States likes when people have degrees from American universities. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. a lot of immigrants, when they move here, even if they have doctorates, if they're scientists, if engineers, they have to typically start over with the, you know, doing the degree again. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't do it yeah. over again, but I had an opportunity to go and get an MBA from University of Florida, and I loved it. Yeah, and and, and then and then you got an opportunity uh, to go be an investment banker in Miami, right? Yeah, I had my internship there. I enjoyed wealth management. I loved working as as a portfolio manager because it was there was a lot of analytics to it. And there was a lot of research. Uh, and uh, that was, I decided that this is what I wanted to do until my, my babies were very young and uh, for, for family reasons, basically, we, we decided not to move at that moment after I graduated. Got it. Okay. So I, just to fast forward the story, you decided to stay in Gainesville, not to move, not to take the job in Miami as an investment banker. You came back to, you just came back to Gainesville to be with your, you know, to raise your family and so forth. But then I think you worked at University of Florida for a brief period, but you were itching to yeah. do you were you were itching to do something more impactful and more aligned with your potential as a person. You have a lot of 
you have a lot of views and opinions and a lot of uh, perspectives on things. And you were just like itching to like get out and, and, and do something for yourself. And so you, you created the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been exciting because you were going to leave your job to go do this, right? And meanwhile, everybody told you yeah. that the name was, everybody said the name was wrong, but <laughs> that didn't no, help. No, nobody could understand what I'm doing. Is that a PR agency or are you going to be a logo designer? Or what is yeah. that? <laughs> logo yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that at this moment, when I, I started researching and studying copywriting really, really hard, uh, and I, I love it because copywriters at the beginning of the 20th century, they were actually strategists. They were business strategists. They were not just people putting words together like now. Now, now this profession doesn't really is not respected as well and doesn't really exist anymore because communications over, you know, they're overriding everything. And uh, I realized that my skill, actually, the linguistics that I studied in literature, it's, it's very handy. And even though I did it in a different language, still, I understand the construction of, of words and what, is, what makes a difference and how it works. So I loved it. And uh, when I looked at competition around, I thought, well, if that is the competition, really, then in my mind, it's very easy. You're going to be okay, right? Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> so I love the uh, I love the competitive, and we're we're going to come back to this. Uh, so Olga, bottom line, you're I can see this. You're you're a very competitive person. Uh, you're you told me first time I talked to you, you said Alan, I'm a Type A person. Uh, you know, you you love to be organized. You love to stay on point. You, you're very competitive. You 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 like to. This is Taipei um, according to this book. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. I have to say, I have to say. So, quit to start book is for people who would want to be entrepreneurs or want to learn what it's like or get a little bit of understanding what you have to go through. And there is a little test at the beginning. It's not a test, but it's an explanation of different types of entrepreneurs. And I actually like type B better, Alan. I wish I was type B because it's more calculated. It's people that already You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, once she reads it, I want to. I want to ask her what what she is. Um, right. So yeah, it really spoke to me. So I I do yeah. recommend this. This is a new book. Uh, it was. Uh, it came out just this year, right? February, right before, right, right before the okay. yeah. So, Olga, so thank check you so it out. It's, thank you. Yep. Thank you. I'm glad it connected with you. And and uh, you, you were type. I talk about the type A entrepreneur, the type B, and the type C. <laughs> and you're the type. You're definitely the type A, right? Um, yeah. And, and so I think that um, I I love that spirit. And 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 frankly, I think that's kind of intertwined a bit with the uh, the immigrant uh, mindset too of of um, just taking nothing for granted and knowing that um, it's you know that there's a, a path to to win with your own talent and your own ambition right where maybe that wasn't the case in in, in the communist Russia uh, situation right you, you literally um, are in your own before we go to Q's story I want to get your comment on that like What's your, how would you describe that, the immigrant entrepreneur mindset? Yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing is a given. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And especially when you are an adult and you move to a new country, you have to start over. And here, what's important to understand is that everything is, you're going to have to use your skill to reach something. It, it's, it's not the fluff. It's not, um, you know, just do something halfway. American market is very competitive. It's way more competitive any, anywhere than anywhere else in any field you take. So you have to have the skill. And immigrant entrepreneurs, when they move here, they know that. So they're prepared for that. Yeah, you know, so yeah. that's that's how I feel. I'm sure Q has the same, the same. I mean, she has advanced degrees, you know, and and so that that is uh, that would separate. Yeah, I get it, and I love it. I, I think it's uh, great. And so Q, let's let's get let's get into your story a little bit. So thank you, Olga, for that background. I can't wait to swing back, and we're gonna we're gonna bring this back a little later and talk about about our uh, about immigrant entrepreneurs and, and why they're so successful. Q, you grew up in communist Romania, right? And um, and uh, one of the oldest European nations, but um, but you know, the lack of a lot of uh, Western things were, were missing there, right? Um, and but they didn't take away from your freedom to dream and your freedom to be uh, creative, right? And so you love Romania, I, moved, I wrote that in my notes here, but there was always kind of a lack of jobs and opportunity that was always the, uh, hang, uh, the case. And, um, and so you love home, but ultimately you, uh, you decided to go to America to uh, pursue the rest of your, your, your education and your career, right? So maybe pick it up there. Um, what was it like growing up in Romania? That would be my first question, Q. Like, what was it like? How would you describe it? Well, I was happy. You know, I was very happy. We didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of things. But when you don't know what it's possible, you know, you are very happy with what you have. So it's in, in Romania is uh, very, very few people get to have a college degree. I mean, during the communistic time, not now. So it's you really have to work and to study a lot to to get accepted into university. So I, you know, I studied throughout my high school years to get into university in uh, chemical engineering. Actually, I chose chemistry. I always wanted to work in um, cosmetic industry. I, I was, since I was little, I always, you know, I was mixing stuff with my mother and I always wanted to work. That's why I chose chemistry. And also, you know, uh, it was a challenge for myself that, hey, I can get into university. So unfortunately, I graduated uh, right after the communist was down. And, you know, the chemical industry was pretty much non-existent nothing was you know country in transition no jobs for anybody so when i decided uh, actually i never thought of coming to united states but i had a colleague from uh, university and he told me well why not come to to us and do like a phd degree i said okay let's do it it's not that i i ever wanted to be a rocket scientist i never thought myself with a phd degree but that was the way to leave the country and i decided to leave because i was very mad that you know all this year i studied so long you know i and it was nothing for me you know at the end of like 
20 years of, you know, working very hard, you have nothing. So that's why I decided to move. And um, the, my colleague was uh, already student at Yale, so I apply only at University of Florida. I didn't even know that actually you can apply, you can do research to apply to different universities, but I apply only to Yale. I immediately got accepted. I um, compared with Olga, I had no knowledge of English. So I, in Romania, I studied French and German. And when I decided to come to ES, they asked me, hey, you have to pass two tests, like TOEFL and GRE for grad school. I said, okay, so let's start learning English. So I did that for six months. I passed those tests and I came here. I had really high with the language. In the first year, I almost gave up. I wanted to go because you have to pass some uh, spoken English test uh, if you are a PhD student because you have to teach undergrad. So I had a really hard time because of the language, but you know, finally I passed those and um, and this is how, you know, I uh, end up in Gainesville. Initially, I hated Gainesville. Uh, it was completely <laughs> opposite from from Bucharest. I mean, Bucharest is a huge, you know, capital of Romania. Um, it's like New York City. And I came to Gainesville and <laughs> I said, what is this? But, you know, in time, I started to like it. I started to like it. You know, I definitely love the, the weather. Um, in Romania, you know, we have four seasons. Winter's very harsh. Um, but, you know, after graduating, I moved to Pittsburgh. The reason I moved to Pittsburgh is because um, I met my husband, meanwhile, and um, he was having a job in Pittsburgh, and that's why I moved to Pittsburgh. I, um, I had a very short um, uh, postdoc position at Carnegie Mellon, and after that, I uh, got hired by a startup. Uh, like, nanotech startup is actually exactly in my field, what I was studying at UF. And um, I was chief scientist there. I started the lab. I hired people. It was amazing. I, I this is really got me into entrepreneurship because you know we were a very small team. Um, the management team was in Buffalo, New York. They let us, you know, a lot of freedom in terms of marketing, business development, talking with customers, and. <clears throat> After that, unfortunately, the company shut down uh, in 2010, uh, which that really gave me an opportunity to do something by myself. And it was about time also, I mean, we'll talk about, about more about immigrants, entrepreneurs, but as a foreign-born graduate student in the United States, even though you really want to start a company based on your research, you cannot. Theoretically, you can. You have only one year, but you know nobody. We don't take that risk. So nobody's starting company just for one year. So you actually, until your visas are straight, straightened up, you have to you know work for somebody else. And that was my somebody else was this company which throughout, you know, I could do, you know, my visa um, issue, I could uh, settle them. And um, after that, I worked, you know, I started consulting companies, biotech companies with licensing from Carnegie Mellon. Uh, the last company in, 
in Pittsburgh was on uh, beauty tech. It was data analytics for healthcare products. Um, actually, I so I started to get into what I really wanted, like more the cosmetics area. Hmm. Um, I decided to move to to Gainesville back, like fifteen months ago. By the way, are you there? Q, you still there? A little bit choppy. Yeah. Um, are you there? We heard most of Yeah, we heard you okay. Um, we've got a comment on Facebook Live. Uh, our, our friend Maria Laricella, she goes, uh, the, she, she's Russians and Romanians are some of the smartest people she knows, loves working with them on all of her projects. <laughs> and, <Thank> uh, <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've had the same. I've development, um, working with so software development teams over my career. Um, I, I worked with a Romanian uh, uh, software development team, and it was just the best, the best experience ever. Uh, just so much attention to detail and so much clarity about the project. Um, but, but Q, so you, you, so how many? So in, in Pittsburgh, you were the chief scientist for 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 a company, yeah. and then you were the director <laughs> of innovation for a company, and. And one of those was a startup. Which one was it? Was it the 113 Industries? Was that the? Yes, yes. We started that company uh, together with. So I, I met, uh, you know, by by chance, two entrepreneurs in Pittsburgh and uh, immigrants as well, actually. And we got together to start a company. And uh, interesting enough, we wanted to start a material science incubators. <laughs> better initially to license technologies well, from universities and to uh, do that well when you guys when you guys come back to Tampa which I know will be soon I've got somebody I really want to introduce you to who is a big Pittsburgh he's from Pittsburgh and he's also a very successful uh, business owner and entre uh, entrepreneur and angel investor and um, and he in Carnegie Mellon, he's a big fan of Carnegie Mellon and, and Mellon, and he's uh, and you you will need to know he's one of the nicest men in the city, and he loves to help people. In fact, he was my last guest speaker in my class uh, right before the COVID shutdown. Uh, he was my last guest speaker, so I posted that on LinkedIn. But he's been a friend for so many years. He's such a good person. So I can't wait when you guys come down. We're gonna meet him. His name is Rich. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, it'll be great. So, okay. Thank you. So, so Q, you're you're back in uh, Gainesville, and um, and you 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 bump into Olga, and uh, and you guys immediately hit it off, and you're um, uh, and you actually didn't meet Q. You had to go back and do some homework just to see. <laughs> <laughs> see if you wanted to yeah. like who is this Olga girl and what is she doing what's the underdog all about but after you did your homework and you guys met some more you're together okay so so you built a great company we, we covered that earlier um, you know Olga is there anything you want to add to uh, Q's story there in terms of when you met her and what your take on on, on Q is well I think that uh, her story is quite um it's of course unique, but it's also typical for a lot of people that uh, were in post-Soviet or other countries, Eastern European, frustrated with the fact that the hard work doesn't pay off. No matter how much you work, it's only it's only that much that you get paid for, and and that basically pushes them to search 
for company for countries like the United States. And we love our countries. We have a lot of emotional attachment to our countries. But the entrepreneur, entrepreneur inside of you always tries to challenge, do you want to stay or do you want to go? So I think that touches up upon this subject of immigrant entrepreneurs. And that's why we were, the Amer- America is very lucky having a lot of entrepreneurs that are immigrants and that start companies and they're trying and they're, they're failing, they're restarting, they're not afraid to just do it. In yeah. fact, uh, yeah. three months ago, when was last synapse, and I was in Tampa with uh, my very good friend, uh, Pablo Casalimas from Gainesville. We were walking be- between sessions, walking there at synapse, and uh, then we hear somebody's presenting, and the person is speaking. I don't know whether he was from India or I don't know which country, but it was an accent, was a heavy accent. And my friend said, this is exactly when you know that this is something good, but it's something <laughs> worth listening. <laughs> I agree. I, agree. So I thought it was interesting, which which I didn't pay attention to that, but it, this is exactly my thought. If I hear somebody speaking with an accent at some presentation, you really want to listen to it carefully because you think it's some scientist or an engineer, you know? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, 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 uh, there's something about the immigrant entrepreneur uh, or immigrants in general that they don't have a lot of time to waste. Uh, they, 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 you know, are used to doing, having to do a lot with very little. Um, they know that they will either swim or be eaten. Like, you know how competitive it is. So you, they, you know, you, you're forced to um, pick the right things, focus on the right things, survive, get ahead, uh, beat the competition. I mean, this is the way the immigrant has to approach America, right? Whereas American uh, kids, we grow up and we kind of just get a little comfortable, right? We just get a little yes. comfortable because it's all around us, right? This is a big deal in entrepreneurship. Yep. For sure, yeah, once you get comfortable. And you know, as an entrepreneur, there is no, there is always some pressure. I don't think an entrepreneur is relaxed. There is always pressure with, with the building the company. What's the next stage? Then what's after that? And what's after that? You can never be relaxed. So that is the mode that we kind of used to. We were raised like that. So that's why entrepreneurship, maybe for some of us, a more natural, it comes easier. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I also think about the why, right? That we talk about it in my book and almost every entrepreneurship book talks about the why, right? What's your, what's your, because ultimately what makes anybody successful in anything in life is your, is the why, right? Like, what's deep down what is why are you doing this what is driving you why do you have to succeed why do you have to do this so great what's inside it's 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 very deep it's very personal and and i would find that a lot of times with immigrant entrepreneurs that um they have to a couple things one they 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 have to uh, capitalize on the opportunity. Like it's like it's like being given a gift. I hate to say that, but it's like being given a gift and then not doing anything with it. So if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and you don't make good on the gift, it feels like failure. I'm I'm just gonna throw that out there. Is that is there any truth to that? Well, actually, Q and I uh, uh, we've discussed the why concept quite a bit, and uh, we have our own which. We prefer to be yeah. more like towards yeah. the word how, how. Okay. Why okay. we know why, but what about how and okay. know what? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. 
I want to hear so that. You, it's, yeah, so that basically means, okay, now we know why we want to do it, but now the question is how? Okay, day one. How are you going to approach that? Do you have the right skill? Do you have the resources? Do you have the effort and the amount of stamina to do it every day, day to day, and week and months and year? So uh, we're more focused on doing it. Yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think the why has settled long ago. You well, know, we know what that, it is. My, my point was that just generally, the, the aside from, for sure, you, you and Q are in the business of helping people with their how and you're into your how. But I was just pointing to the fact that what drives an immigrant entrepreneur on generally is their oh, yeah. why, what like yeah, drives yeah. them to do, and then they got to figure out the how, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. You guys have a and you, but I was just before we get into the how you guys have a have a why, like right? So I just am reading this off of you, Olga, and even you, Q. But like you're driven to be successful. Like you won't stop until you get it. Am I right about that? I, I mean, I hope so. The thing is, I prefer to keep the athlete mentality and you never focus on the outcome in terms of while you're doing it. Uh, and the, the successful outcome is a given. That's what we want. But while we get to it, we will have failures here and there. So actually focusing on everyday effort and and good work and and uh, the research and what we need to do, this is the most important thing. Just just do your job every day. Don't slack. Don't you know? Don't wait. Nothing. Nobody else is gonna do it for you. And then the result will come. It will. Got it. Q, what would you add uh, add to that? You you know how. Um... I was thinking that, you know, foreign-born entrepreneurs, they are always, everybody saying they are uh, you know, entrepreneurial by nature and, uh, you know, they are more risk-tolerant than the U.S.-born entrepreneurs. And maybe that's true, but also what I do believe that um, uh, immigrants entre entrepreneurs take more calculated risk. And by that, I mean that you know, it's um, we have a higher self-perceivability than U.S.-born entrepreneurs. I, I think we do know exactly which are our advantages, which are our strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, when you take the risk in that area where you have those advantages. So I think that's why um, immigrants entrepreneurs are more successful. Yeah. So... So do you, do you think it's um, that, again, back what I said earlier, like you, you can't afford a lot of mistakes. You like cannot you have... afford, mm -hmm. yes, you cannot afford to, you, you know, I mean, we think of, of, of a degree of failure, right? Okay, the failures are different, right? You fail, you shut down a company, but what, you, what we think that, okay, what is the worst thing that I can afford, you know? And this is once I know that, okay, it's, it's okay to go through. But, um, you know, it's, um, um, we, we, you know, we mitigate all these risks to preparations. Um, and um, 
what I want to say is that uh, um, you can definitely prepare yourself. You can definitely um, an immigrant entrepreneur uh, is knows that preparation is going to be critical to be successful, right? Like um, yes, and yes, you, you can't you can't like just be willy nilly and uh, and be inefficient. Yes. And, you know, I, I was always thinking about uh, when you start a company like a startup, a tech startup, that everybody is talking about the first round of friends and family. That is not available for immigrants. We uh. left our families and friends at home. So it's always to me, it's very weird when first round of friends and family. Um, <laughs> so Ask your husband. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Friends and family, uh, your husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that means your. That, that means your own money. That really means your own. Like nobody's looking. Yes. To, yeah, you don't. You don't have that first uh, circle of people with money because all your friends are, like you said, immigrant Americans. They they don't have money either, and so like it's your you you've actually got to produce something of such high value that actual investors come in and want to be a part of it. You don't have the option of uh, circling up friends and family money while you dabble or experiment. Yes. I mean, you start with your own money. You know, we are not used to go outside and ask for money for capital. I mean, this is uh, completely, you know, in US, which I found out in Romania, everybody's like using their own savings to start companies. Here, it's completely different, you know, mentality. You know, you you get paid using somebody else's money. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. That's a bit of a privilege, right? It's a bit of a, 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 yes. a home, like a, like a, a native um, resident, a, a privilege, right? Like that's something that's home very advantage. Yeah. An advantage. Thank you. An advantage. Home um, advantage. Like for the underdogs, you know, home advantage. <laughs> I like it. See, that's another point. That's another point, right? Like, uh, knowing that you're not going to have any help and there's going to be no advantages, there, that's very negative, but isn't that powerful too? Like it forces yes. you to get really focused and really correct and really, right? Like, isn't this a, a, a negative that's a strength? This is yeah. it's very liberating, very liberating. Yeah. yeah. You feel great when you yes. do it. Yes. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, I get it. I, I totally get it because... Um, you know, all of the great, there's so many great entrepreneurs and authors talk about, I mean, um, uh, uh, Damon talks about the power, his number one selling book is uh, The Power of Broke, right? That being broke is a very powerful place from Shark Tank, right? Um, and, uh, and I've also been, I follow a lot of, 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 of authors and writers on this. Um, one of the wealthiest people I know talked about his best uh, uh, the rich dad, poor dad author talked about how he prefers to start everything with no money. Like having no money is is powerful. It forces you to be creative. It forces you to focus. It forces you to solve problems. It forces you to get to the heart of the matter, right? And not that you're uh, so so. Like this is a strength. This is a strength. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think, for example, when I you know, going back to your background and how you grew up, my parents were growing everything because there were things were not available. 
and with their little, they were so creative with how they would use the garden, how they would even cook. Everything we were growing was used. There was no things that you throw away. There is always a dish for something that you can cook. And and think about it, it is creativity and you you live like this is your life, you live in it and you get you take it for granted, but in reality, it is how you build your creative muscle. Yeah. And and ultimately that's what isn't that really the essence of entrepreneurship? Uh, yep. anything that you you create or start has to be <clears throat> has to be on solid ground and, and has to be um, you know it cannot have um, excess or waste in it uh, it needs to be refined and and to work right and, yep. and so this this plays right in so this this lack of resources and 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 lack of resources for uh, by the way, not just immigrant entrepreneurs, but we find that pe even young pe people who grew up in America and, and, and say poverty also disproportionately become successful entrepreneurs, right? Because again, yeah. mm -hmm. they're used to uh, solving problems, figuring things out, getting more done with very little, and, and ultimately too, surviving too. The other piece of this is survival, isn't it? Because it yeah. doesn't come easy and so it's a long, it's a long, it's a long race, right? And you know what's interesting? Well, I think, I mean, we can compare COVID-19 to poverty, but yet it is, uh, it is a really hard time for a lot of businesses. And it will be very good and interesting test to see whether there is going to come out a lot of new innovative companies after this time. Because a lot of people right now are in the situation where they have to think and be prepared to change things up. So would be an interesting test to see whether there's going to be a lot of new innovative things coming up. Yes. And um, the but not only new companies, but also the ones that can survive this. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. The ones that can survive and then the new ones that get created. This, uh, this this situation is going to have a way of really um, redef redefining the businesses going forward. Um, I um, Okay, so what else do you guys want to talk about regarding immigrant entrepreneurs? What else do you have in your mind that you want to put out there that, that we haven't said yet? Well, I would say that in our in my country, uh, entrepreneurship was not a respectable thing, and it was discouraged, and uh, it was considered uh, not, not nobody would do that. Actually, my parents didn't like the fact that I had entrepreneurial ideas and was trying to do something that I wouldn't go and take on a job. So in a lot of Eastern European countries, the idea was culturally that after you go to school, you take on a job. In fact, that came from Soviet times, where Soviet times it was like this. You go, you get your degree, and then the government decides where your job is going to be. Okay. And they decide which city. So you get your degree and you can relocate. I mean, you don't know where. So... So if you don't take on a job, you basically, you don't know how to keep a job. You don't know how to keep work, work ethics. And entrepreneurship wasn't known uh, in the USSR. And so it wasn't in Romania, right, Q? Q as well, you would agree? Hmm? 
Hey Q, you would agree that uh, that entrepreneurship was not a thing in uh, in Romania as well? No, I mean didn't exist it entrepreneurship. I mean everything was uh, a state. I didn't have. I mean Olga is younger than me, but, but uh, so I graduated, uh, you know, in 1990, right after the communist was down. So I grew up with you know not knowing actually what entrepreneurship is. Yeah. And after that, um, yes, it was seen the same, uh, pretty much the entrepreneurs in Romania were the, you know, like trade people. You would uh, get clothing from Turkey and bring them in Romania and sell them. Those were the first entrepreneurs in Romania. Uh, right. But, um, yeah. But Olga, in Olga, you explained to me that... Um that it was frowned upon because you were you were taking too many chances with your future right yeah exactly yeah yeah because if you played if you played by the rules and and stay, get your your book stamped so to speak um you would, yeah. you would you would have a nice retirement and you would have everything set aside for you when you were older yeah. and so why would you why would you mess with like why would you take a chance with that is basically the mindset right Right. As a, as a young person, as a young professional, of course, you're scared. You listen to what your parents are telling you or other mentors and you think, yeah, I probably should. So I I did feel the same way. I thought I need to get a job. I, I need to stop thinking about all those entrepreneurial things and get a job because for the future, uh, it will pay off. But, you know, communism has been there for 17 years before it collapsed. So it framed the mindset of people in a way that the country will take care of people um, when they're in their 60s. They'll have their pension, but they have to put in this 40, 50 years of work. And uh, once they collapsed and we looked at the United States of America, Europe, and we're like, oh, wait a minute. But those people are doing different things and they have some flexibility. Um, Still, the mindset remained there. And it's people that are in their 60s and 70s, my parents, they still have communism mindset. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So so the trade-off there is that you don't get to do meaningful work for yourself. You don't get to do things that are meaningful purposeful self-expression was killed you were you were always you were dressed as everybody else there were only three colors in the store gray brown and black you know and you were uniforms everything was the same self-expression was not allowed and it, it was it was not good no and you weren't rewarded uh for your self-talent you you know the people that excelled that were advanced were, were probably promoted for political reasons not for uh, skill or talent a lot of times? You you know, that would give you a medal, literally, or, or a trophy. But it was there was no monetary compensation. You would never get... Basically, there was no reason to work hard. You can be the best at what you do. You can be the best pianist. You can be, you can be the best scientist. They can give you some, I don't know, a medal, literally, and that's it. Wow. And so, and so you, how often do you, do you guys visit back? How often do you get to go back and visit? Well, I haven't been since 2010. Um, at the moment, there is a war in my hometown that's been there for five years, six years now. 
and uh, still unclear when it's going to be over. Mm -hmm. And Q, were you last time? Uh, two years ago. <clears throat> two years ago. Usually, you know, I, I want to go once per year, but from now on, I'll go like less and less. Yeah, yeah. but so here's my my last question for you guys is okay so when it comes to you as a as a team olga how would you describe what makes you and q special and what makes the underdog special and what do you what do you guys bring to the table for your clients that that you don't think anybody else really can bring the way you bring i think that our words are always researched. I know that if I ask you a question or if she tells me something, I know she already researched everything. It's not the first line she read somewhere. It's not just an opinion. It's already a formed factual statement that, that she, she brings it and she says, this is how it is. I like that because there is always substance to what's going on. When we when we talk to each other, the way we brief about ideas, we have the same way of uh, describing things, of, of looking for some sort of association with how we like it or we don't like it. I think we have similar aesthetics also. It's important for marketing, for branding, for products, uh, and um, we get along. It's, it's, it's great. You know, you need to have chemistry with the chemistry person. We have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. That's definitely important. Um, Q, Q, what would you what would you add to that in terms of um, what makes the underdog? Well, in uh, terms of mm -hmm. special. why, you know, we are uh, unique compared with other, uh, you know, firms like us is that uh, we, first of all, we are actually, you know, um, educated in those fields, you know, in business and marketing, we do have degrees in this and um, we have experience, you know, I mean, we offer product commercialization services that it's something that I did for 10 years, uh, especially working with small companies, with startups. Um, so, you know, and go to market strategy like uh, we also what Olga didn't mention now I, I thought that we work with international companies who wants to bring uh, products in the United States you know market uh, product market fit uh, or also what type of strategy to get uh, into US market and uh, for that uh, you know we are the best uh, partners for them because we understand Send both cultures, you know, in uh, Europe and even in uh, uh, Latin America. Latin American culture is very similar to Romanian culture. Uh, so we do uh, understand both cultures. Here's the other thing that comes out, strikes out to me that I think is probably unique, a bit, a bit strong with Eastern Europe and where you're from. Tremendous honesty, very direct honesty is what you guys have. And I know that about you, like very direct honesty. <laughs> and, and, you know, because the Asian culture is not so much that way. And then, you know, Western Europe is, is its own thing. In America, we often um, don't always say what we really think about things and so forth. I find that when I'm talking with you, and I've seen that it's true with you and so many other Eastern Europeans I know, um, very polite and very friendly, but 
like, but then, then in the very next sentence, extremely direct and honest. <laughs> Is this true? I feel this way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think and so. And I mean yeah. that in a good way. Like you want your marketing branding person to be honest with you and to tell you, yes. ex- tell you what you need to hear. Yes. Right. And so are other instructors, teachers, mentors, anybody. I don't need anybody to sugarcoat me. I need to tell them how I'm going to improve. If I'm there to improve, to make my business better, to sell things, to reach my audience, what do I don't need to to just be nice. I need to be heard. And uh, for that, I need to improve. You only improve when somebody pushes you hard. That's the only way I, I know how it works. But. Maybe there's other ways. That's right. And you know what is ironic? And, I'm, and please, please forgive me for saying this, but you see this a lot with men, right? More so. You, you're uh-huh. very, you, both of you are very unique as women. You're very, you're, you're very, di- very direct, honest, and very assertive with this thing. And I hope you don't take that wrong. And I think that's very, that's very powerful because you have the, the women's sensibility and the women's all the all the power of a woman, all the power of a woman, but being able to be direct and honest in that way, I think is just really, that's what attracted me to what you guys were doing. I think that's what really separates you from so many other other players, right? And do you do you do you feel that that's that that true for you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think confidence comes first of all from knowing that you put in a lot of work, research, studying, reading, and it makes you feel confident. You know, I know that when I put something out there, I've already researched it. I've already brainstormed of how can people challenge me and what what I would say for that. So you look at multiple different angles at things. So that does bring you confidence. So I think going along with our personalities, that's what you get, this mix. The formulation, right, Q? How is that in chemistry there? (laughs) Yes, I mean, this is what immigrant entrepreneurs do, right? They, uh, you know, uh, this is how they uh, minimize the risk through preparation because this is what we can do by ourselves and what is in our control, right? You can do that. You know, you don't depend on anybody else to do that. Yes. And how do you, uh, so (laughs) I'm just trying to imagine like if someone challenges you, I feel like you ladies would be very strong in a challenge, meaning like, like once you feel like you're, data is correct and your viewpoint is correct, I feel like you would stand and fight. It's just my my assumption. Yeah. Is that is that true? I will for sure, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm I'm ultra competitive. Ultra competitive. <laughs> and the reason that's why you study strategy. Real strategy. What I mean is real strategy. When you, uh, if you want to be competitive this way you gotta start. I, I like that. I, I love that. I'm, I, I'm glad I got to ask you that question about standing and fighting because, because, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the entrepreneurial uh, learning curve and the entrepreneurial risk taking and, and all that stuff. But there comes another level when you get into the to the to the game of business and to the real fight of, of business. Right. There is a stand and fight moment and people that can stand and fight for what they believe in or how they feel about something. 
can be a big or how or their data or their research, whatever it is, their perspective, their viewpoint. That's a that's another big test uh, for entrepreneurs or even business people in general. And um, I feel like that you you guys have that that backbone, as we like to say in America, right? To to stand for that, right? Because you people, whether it be a client or a competitor, that will want to discredit or push or push or push against you, push against you, right? Even a client. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time, there is clients that want you to do what they they know. This is how they want to do it. Um, and then you have to, you, you're thinking, okay, so you're hiring us to do that. But if you know how to do it, um, yeah, we will, we will stand behind our point of view for sure. <laughs> I love that. I like the challenge. I like ambiguity. <laughs> it's, this is all very good things to work with because that's where you get the best out of yourself. Right. I think. Yeah. And if yeah. you have a client and then you offer them to call their company the underdog, how are you gonna how are you gonna tell them to do it if they don't want to? That's it. That's it. Right? Um, anything else you guys want to say on that topic or anything else before we kind of wrap up? And I want to wrap up with the question around this COVID nineteen and um, what you what kind of advice you give, what you're giving to your clients today and what your thoughts are around that. I know you guys have a startup of your own. Um, that you've that you've kind of spawned out of this situation. But before we go there, anything else you want to add, or do you want to just go right into that closing? I have a question to you, Alan. Okay. Um, so uh, I want to ask you about your vision for your um, courses that you have, and who can um, participate in that. Who is that for? Is that for students? Oh, All the everything oh. that you have on your plan, your start. Yes, thank you for asking. So the the uh, the class, the USF class, is a closed environment of those students, and um, I have speakers come, and I can't wait for you guys to come and speak to my class. So I can't wait for that. Oh, great! Uh, we'll do that in like the fall or the spring, but um, but for so that's it. That's what it is. And as far as um, as far as the plan, your start, it's ultimately. Um, you know, wanting to help aspiring entrepreneurs. And that's what the, that's what's kind of behind the scenes on this podcast even, is people that are in jobs, um, not, you know, who are dreaming of bigger things, but don't necessarily have the confidence or know the how. You mentioned the how earlier, um, how they can how they can make the leap and, and, and gain the uh, the resources and the confidence to do it. So that's what Plan Your Starts dedicated. So this this conversation I think helps along those lines. But I would say that as I grow, plan your start, and even this podcast is a startup for me, and as I grow it, um, I want to include all the smart people I know out there like yourselves to help me um, you know, bring advisors to all these companies. And, um, and so you know, I'm even working on the idea of an accelerator myself. Okay. Ooh, uh, competition. But, but like a, you know, but like a virtual. <laughs> Like a virtual, like a virtual accelerator, virtual membership, right? And and those okay. those companies could get access to uh, experts like you, right? That's something okay. I'm working on right, right now, yeah, because I can't. Uh, I one person, I I I can't do it yeah. all. I work with individual clients and so forth, but I much prefer to tap into 
all all the different um, experiences and people in my network and try to help people. Uh, it takes a it takes a lot of people to help someone. There's no one mentor, or one coach that can really can be the magic trick for someone. They need um, they need a lot of different support help. So that's the best way I can answer. This is all this plan your start is new. I just launched it a few months ago with my book, and so yeah. I'm kind of I'm I'm um, I'm learning as I go. I'm learning as I go. I would and I love Great. your feedback. So I I would like I would ask you you guys to drop me a note once in a while with ideas or, or, or feedback or it would be a lot of help and it would be appreciated. Okay. Okay. If you can tolerate criticism. (laughs) (laughs) I can do it. I, uh, I'm counting on it. So, Hey, so with that, let's wrap up by asking about, um, what what are your thoughts on COVID-19 and, um, what do you want to share before we leave? Yeah. I'll let Q share that. We have something we're working on. Okay. Yes, we, you know, because it was a slow time during this, you know, and uh, we, we were thinking what to do, and um, uh, we came up with the idea actually of a, a startup. It uh, is a consumer product company, and actually, it's um, it's really a perfect blend between chemistry and marketing, which you know we are. So I think um, hopefully we will uh, launch soon. Right now we are in the product development stage and also like marketing, branding, uh, brainstorming. And um, hopefully we will launch soon. Good. Well, so you, so no more than three. Three is all you get. You've got the underdog, you've got the blue orange accelerator, and now this. That's all. No more. No more. No more. Yeah. So of course, is it too much? Uh, it's definitely too much. You cannot focus three is okay. on all three of them. Yeah, no, the power not, of three. three is not okay. So we will see. <laughs> <laughs> we will see how it goes. So uh, okay, because well, honestly, I mean, since we started the 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 startup, the company, because I'm doing the the product development, I'm pretty much 100% on that. I actually built a lab in my husband's woodworking shop. So I have a chemistry lab. Was that the video I saw of the uh, the water boiling? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that is just yeah. in the Breaking I'm Bad. Cooking, uh, yeah. What were you cooking up, Q? What were you cooking? That the Breaking Don't Bad. The formula. <laughs> the Breaking Bad uh, action figures also. Well, if anybody out there, just people that need to know, and they're going to watch this video because on our on our YouTube. Um, you should absolutely follow the underdog on Facebook and Instagram. You guys post the funniest, uh, most interesting things, and and I love following it. Um, and uh, and you you guys are off to big things. And will we see you at Synapse again? Do you think next year? Uh, well, oh, I yeah. wouldn't go to uh, the digital one, to the virtual one. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, good. Well. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Um, I'm a big fan of both of you, and uh, I look forward to um, e- us helping each other. You know, um, over yeah. the years, right? We we're all we're all in it together, right? We're all trying to do big, important things. Not everybody does that, right? The way, right? So, so uh, it's good that we support each other. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Thank it you was great. Reading. 
Absolutely. Olga, sorry. Uh, well, Q, your, your video is a little choppy. Olga, you were great the whole way. I, you were fluid. It's so funny. We did our testing and it was Olga was the problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and now then Q was, Q, Q was perfect. And then in the real live thing, Q, your video, you look great, Q, but it's been a little choppy, but it's been okay. And then Olga has been, you know, perfect the whole time. So, yeah. um, but that's, that's the new world we live in, right? Uh, yeah. We're only, hey, we're only as good as our internet connection in the new world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's true. Is it true? Um, yes. But thank you again. Hey, Olga, send me your mobile number so I can uh, text you a thank you. I got cues, but uh, but I really appreciate it. Yeah. You guys have a great night. Okay? You too. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Okay, bye. -bye. bye, -bye.